Good morning, Kent Cove. It's good to see you this morning. This morning we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, and our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 11, and it reads like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. This morning we look at the second clause in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think as we think about this idea, we have to ask the question first and foremost, why pray? Why pray? Well, we could come up with all kinds of answers to that and reasons why we do and should. And the whole reason behind this series is that Jesus felt it was important to teach his disciples to pray. And so, uh, and so we do. And we all recognize those moments in our lives when we feel that unmistakable urge to go to God in prayer. Thinking a little more theologically, one uh, author describes prayer as the heart's cry for the kingdom which is what this clause in the Lord's Prayer is all about. And I love that image, that image of the idea that that our hearts cry out for the kingdom, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Dallas Willard suggests that when we pray, we enter the real world. The substance of the kingdom And our bodies and souls begin to function for the first time as they were created to function. In other words, in that act of prayer, we enter into the reality of God's kingdom. 
We pray because it is modeled for us by Jesus, and it roots us in relationship with our Heavenly Father, who is described by Jesus as a Father who is intimately concerned with us and with what concerns us. But what I'd like to do this morning as we think about this part of the Lord's Prayer is to think about this idea of God's kingdom. Because if we pray this every day, we should probably have an understanding of what it is that we're praying for, right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it struck me a a few years ago that this is one of those terms that we use in the church. We talk about it, it, you hear about it over and over again, and yet Um, At least when I was growing up, I never heard an explanation of what it was that we were exactly asking for, what it was that we were actually describing, what did we mean, right? And in some sense, I always thought that what we meant was the, uh, you know, one day in heaven kingdom, and it didn't really intersect our daily lives. But I don't think that's what Jesus was after. And so I want to spend some time this morning looking at what is God's kingdom and what do we mean when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one simple definition of what God's kingdom is would be to say that God's kingdom is that place where God's will holds sway where God's will is done. That's what we pray in the prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. So God's kingdom then, by definition, is that place where God's will is done. God's actual working in the world. And where do we see this? And where is it introduced? Well, coming up in a few months, beginning after the holidays, we're going to spend 16 weeks in the Gospel of Mark. I've never done a 16-week series before, so I'm going to test your attention spans and mine. That's for another day. But in Mark 1, one of the things I love that happens there is when Jesus uh, appears and begins his ministry, that is when the kingdom breaks in, right? Because Mark describes it this way in Mark 1. He says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is not talking about one day after many, many centuries, I will come back and establish my kingdom and everything will be okay. In the meantime, good luck. That's not what he says. He says the kingdom of God, in some translations, is at hand. It is present. It has broken into this world. Repent and believe the good news. So when Jesus announces his kingdom in Mark, he says a couple of really important things in that announcement. The first thing he says is that it has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. It is at hand. It is present. 
The other thing he says is that it's good news. It's good news. Friends, if you hear a version of the gospel preached that is not good news, then it is not gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom is the presence of God's shalom. It is the presence of wholeness, justice, well-being in the world. And we recognize when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we live in this in-between space where the kingdom of God has come, it is at hand, it has come near, but has not come in fullness yet. So that's partly, or that is a description of the kingdom. It's also important, I think, to look at and understand the ways that Jesus describes the kingdom. And I thought it might be fun to just do a little, a little pop quiz. So if you can think, you know, uh, of the stories and the things that Jesus said, how did Jesus describe the kingdom? What kinds of things did he say? Mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like yeast. A little bit leavens the whole dough. The kingdom of God, as we just said in Mark, Jesus says, has come near or is at hand. In Luke 17, he says that the kingdom of God is within us. In Luke 4, he says that the kingdom of God is good news. And in several of his parables, he describes the kingdom of God as something in amazingly small, but that does great things. Yeast, mustard seed. In other words, it's small, but it has huge potential. Now, it also is important to note that Jesus, when he is in front of Pilate, makes sure to, to um, express that his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, right? It's not about politics. We don't have time this morning to go there, but we've all heard and looked at and thought about that reality. And if we haven't in recent years, we better do it because it gets muddled in our world, the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom. It is not political. It is not any political agenda. It is not this administration or that administration. It is the kingdom of the Lamb. It is the kingdom of Jesus that defies expectations and then delivers so much more. So those are all descriptions of the kingdom that we hear in the Gospels. One of my favorite ways of understanding this, because sometimes it can be a little slippery or it seems a little maybe esoteric or theological in an inaccessible way. Um, Dallas Willard, I'm going to read you this description 
that he gives of uh, kind of a metaphor for the kingdom of God from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Um, He writes this, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use, but in my senior year of high school, the REA, Rural Electrification Administration, anybody live like me or grow up in a rural area where you had an REA? I did. The Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of light, of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements and understand them and take practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison rather crude, and and in some respects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of the heavens if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent for electricity is at hand, repent, or in other words, turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns, their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and rug beaters, their woman-powered sewing machines, and their radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them, where by making relatively simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change Others could not afford it, or so they thought. So that is a somewhat, uh, as he writes of himself, crude example of what the kingdom of God is like, right? The kingdom of God, whether or not we make the arrangements, whether or not we do the repentance to access it, is all around us. It is more real than our reality without it. And so when Jesus comes among us and he says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He's not suggesting that if we say some formulaic prayer, then one day when we die, we will go to heaven and everything will be okay, although that certainly is the end game. No, 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 no. He is saying that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand and it will change your life if you simply make the arrangements to access it. The kingdom of God is present and here now. And so when Jesus answers his disciples who have asked him to teach them to pray and he includes in that prayer uh, for us to pray for the coming of God's kingdom and that God's will would be done on earth as in heaven, he's not just talking about someday far off. He's talking about right now. He's inviting us into an entirely different reality. 
So what does it mean for us, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Well, if we go back to Mark 1, it means first and foremost that we have to recognize that that kingdom is available to us. Second, then, it means that we must repent. Now, I recognize this is a word that's loaded for those of us who were raised, especially in more conservative churches, right? It comes loaded with all kinds of emotional baggage, sometimes not healthy, right? It's, it's guilt and shame and all of that. But quite simply, the word repent simply means to turn away from. So right now, I'm going to repent from this section and turn to this section, right? Repent means simply access a different way of being. Recognize the truth that's in front of you and step into it. Now, is there a place to uh, pray for forgiveness and, and to be cleansed of guilt and sin? Yes, absolutely there is. But we, you know, the idea that somehow we have to get all whipped up emotionally because of that is not what's present, at least in this text. All Jesus is saying is to turn away from your, your old way of understanding and enter into a new kingdom. Enter into a new reality. And then engage in the practices of God's kingdom in action, in word and deed, and make that kingdom evident to others. So when we pray this prayer... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We are asking God to help us step into this new reality and then to live that way that, that Jesus has taught us, a kingdom way that demonstrates the presence of that kingdom here and now. This part of the prayer, in other words invites us to allow God to ask this question of us. Do you want what I want? When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are saying, we are allowing God to ask us the question, do you want what I want? Because what we are saying when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that we are asking God to invite us into his way of being, into his reality, and to want the things that God wants. And that defies our own desires. It defies the desires of our culture. It defies the, the, de, it defies the desires of whatever political affiliation we have. And I do mean whatever. It invites us into the reality of the kingdom of God. And, it, and the expectation then is that we become God's people for the sake of the world. So what does it mean for us to pray these words as a church? N.T. Wright says that um, we pray it not only for ourselves, but of course for the church. But this cannot simply mean that we want God to sort out our messes and muddles so that the church can be a cozy place without problems or pain. We can only pray this prayer for the church if we are prepared to mean, make us kingdom bearers, 
Make us a community of healed healers. Make us in turn servants of the Lord, the few with the message for the many. If we pray this prayer and we mean it, we as the community of God's people are invited by this prayer to join in God's work in Jesus by making the church, as Augustine said, a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints. What this means, if we really pray this prayer and mean it, is that God is about to mess up your life and your church because it calls us into the things of the kingdom. It calls us into the radical hospitality and grace of Jesus, which means that we will be dealing with people who are broken, just like us, by the way, sometimes at very different places in that journey of healing from that brokenness, but broken nonetheless. Now, from a personal perspective, when we think about God's will, we tend to over-personalize it, right? We uh, think about, well, what is God's will for me? Is it this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? And that's not a question if you're already married. Um, should I do, you know, should I move here or should I go there? You know, all of those things and we, we over-personalize it. My sense is that God is more concerned with our character than our context. He wants us to join him in establishing his kingdom wherever we are by being and acting as those who have been transformed by Christ. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we are truly transformed, or more accurately, being transformed into one who really does desire God's kingdom come and God's will be done, the overflow of that interior transformation shows up. First in our little, little worlds, family, friends, work, and then collectively as we act together to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so please rise and join me in prayer. As our Savior Christ has commanded and taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.